if you think about it, we're constantly selling. So sales pitch is kind of not a thing. It's really about what service can I provide? What can I connect you with? What can I train you on with the value differences between me and the differentiator with somebody else down the road? Welcome closers. Today, we have another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast coming at you. This is season two on sales. I'm your host, Jordan Moyla, and every week I interview world-class property management entrepreneurs and industry experts who share actual insights to help you grow your property management empire. So whether you manage a hundred or a thousand units, this broadcast is designed to help you see the big picture and give you the tools and tactics that you need to get to the next level. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Today, I'm talking with Cassandra Taggart, the president of Real Property Management Last Frontier, a fast-growing property management company in Anchorage, Alaska, of all places which was named RPM Franchise of the Year in 2016. Cassandra is also the president of the Landlord's Almanac, one of the largest landlord clubs in the country dedicated to networking, supporting, and training for professional landlords. In today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about how Cassandra is using thought leadership to grow her reputation, to grow her business, what it actually looks like in practice, and how you could use some of these same tactics to benefit your business. So if you're curious about how to stand out from the crowd, you've been doing some marketing and sales and you just haven't quite gotten to the point where it's really in a flow state, then this episode is for you. Welcome to the show, Cassandra. Thank you, Jordan. I appreciate that. Great introduction about what thought leadership is. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you're doing it. You're one of the few people that's actually doing some of the heavy lifting. So I want to start here, just rough parameters of the business. How long have you been in business? How large is your franchise, et cetera? Sure. I've kind of done twists and turns over the years. I started as an investor when I was 18, bought my first property, learned from my father and grandfather, and it kept growing from there. Eventually, I had quite a few rentals and said I probably should uh, have a property management business to support them. And then I could also use that to help others in the industry as well and maybe find some deals. So we opened up the property management company and I quickly realized that investors are a different mindset than the accidental landlords and a different mindset than the DIY landlords. So it kind of created a very interesting problem to solve because then we developed into creating a book to try to teach people the difference between making painful decisions and profitable decisions. Then we kept pivoting from there over and over and over over the years. So that's where RPM started my management company. And that's how we pivoted into the Landlord's Almanac being a referral source and a leverage for us. Got it. So to me, the Landlord Almanac thing, it falls into the category of content marketing, thought leadership, and all this stuff is really in the long game, right? If you could easily do that within 30 days, get it spun up and having all these leads come in, everybody would do it. But it doesn't really work that way. It's a lot of effort. So from behind the scenes, kind of talk me through from conceiving this idea to actually getting some ROI off of it. What has that journey been like with the Landlord's Almanac? Well, it's been an interesting four years, I believe it was, to get it kind of started. And it first started off with, I just wanted to socialize with other landlords. So I started creating little gatherings. 
And then I realized that the people, uh, the DIY landlords, accidental landlords and beginner investors had no clue what they were doing. So then it pivoted into training and educating them and teaching them how to basically do my job. During that process, the local college started doing classes. So we started actually having degrees and certificates in property management, but the public doesn't have access to that. Then we pivoted over to doing classes and educations. That took about a year to grow. We ended up growing to around 50 to 70 people that show up every month just to listen to the classes. And then they started asking, hey, we want to socialize with each other. We want to be connected to more professionals uh, because we'd have guest speakers. So now we have a platform where they socialize, engage. So it was a four-year process and it just keeps changing because we listened to the customers and we didn't do what we wanted. We did what they kept asking. I love that. So you're following the request of your customers, always a great recipe for success. What I find is that when we talk about content marketing, people tend to put it in the same bucket of a sales expense or a marketing expense, but it is oh so different to try and do lead generation through thought leadership versus, let's say, buying all property management leads. Philosophically, you've got to be pretty bought into this. So how does you doing the Landlord Almanac How does that make you a better entrepreneur and a better service provider aside from the leads that come from it? Do you feel like it just makes you better at your job? It does because you're getting boots on the ground to listen to your clients straight on. You are able to learn what their perception is of property management. They just think it's cashing a rent check. And nowadays they can just buy a program and do it themselves. Cozy. Yeah. That hard. I mean, it's like, it's like they go buy the Zillow and get everything that they need or cozy.co for example. So they don't realize that rules and regulations are quickly changing, like how we do tenant screening and how fair housing works at the federal and the state level and all these fines that can just happen with no trials. So it's very interesting to engage them in that conversation and teach them the in-depthness of what property management is and how to do it so they can make profitable decisions. But when we do that, it established ourselves as the expert. Mm-hmm. Word of mouth went crazy. We opened RPM in 2012. Since that day, we have not technically spent money in online Google anything or ads or whatever you want to call the online social stuff outside of Google reviews, right? Mm-hmm. Did all of our energy on these classes and networking events, which created a huge referral source for us. And it made it to our conversion rates are a lot higher than most of the other companies that are in the industry. And it made it to where our growth went through the roof. There was one year where we had 118% growth. And that was uh, very challenging as a business owner to learn how to manage growth and reputation and the errors that come with going too fast and uh, learning portfolio mixes as a business owner and learning how to restrict growth, but at the same time, get just profitable growth to come on. So it was a little bit of a learning curve with how to work with the community and listen to the customer and manage the growth as well as manage profitable growth. So it pushed my limits and I am very thankful for that. I won't forget that period ever. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's that's a part of the ride for sure. That's what entrepreneurs sign up for. Can you talk to me a little bit about the psychological shift of taking on that persona of, of being the expert, right? There's something called imposter syndrome, which is basically just kind of questioning, am I really this smart? Am I really that much of a leader going from not having that platform 
to having it is is a shift in now in, in terms of what people project onto you and how you view yourself. Has it given you more confidence in how you approach owner-focused conversations? It's actually very, very fascinating to go through that process. When I first started the connecting with the other landlords, I thought I was going to be, you know, learning from them in the sense of, well, how do you do this process better? How do you how do you get more rentals and how do you this? And come to find out that the knowledge base that they have is so little. And I didn't realize how little it was. And if you think about it, it wasn't a thing to have a college degree in property management until recently. Right. It wasn't yeah. a thing to be able to read articles and blogs on it until recently. So what people know about the industry in the history of America is just what their grandfather and their father taught them or life experiences. Nothing else was out there for them. So just feeding their hunger to want to learn and educate naturally made you look like an expert because you have so many properties you're managing and you know all the stories that they don't have. Mm-hmm. So they don't realize the consequence of doing the wrong screening the wrong way or the decline of a screening the wrong way, creating the government to come down on you or something. So when you introduce them to those stories, they just put you on a pedestal. It's funny, you'll see them on the forum and they'll say, hey, Cassandra said da 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 So this is the answer. You're doing it wrong. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you, need to, you need to do your own research and learn. And <laughs> But people um, crave leadership, right? I mean, that's the reality of the situation. It. They crave it. So, so it's kind of cool to be the person that says, hey, you should read this book or this thing. We've actually had some of our customers come to the class, loved it so much, and they went off to school to get a property management degree just because they wanted to learn more. Wow. And it's changing the industry by being proactive and giving them what they want versus reactionary and just making property management be a transaction-based system. Oh, no. That, that's the difference. And that's where my mind has shifted this whole time. Because it's not about the transaction of, oh, I got 500 units. Oh, I got 600 units. It has nothing to do with that. What it deals with is, were we able to watch that person grow from one unit to 15 units? Were we able to watch them develop knowledge with going to school and, and learning about equity trust and ways to maneuver their retirement account? Are we partners with them? It's way better than just being a transaction. And oh, oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you can call this so many things. You can call it consultative sales. You can call it thought leadership. But ultimately, it's just caring. It's caring enough to actually put yourself in your client's shoes and to take action. And what I find is that when I get that mental orientation, it creates energy and inertia. And people just, they smell it, they breathe it, and they want to be a part of it little commentary from you on the sales side of things. Cause my interactions has been when I'm having a sales conversation with somebody that's heard the podcast or they've seen me speak, it's a completely different situation versus somebody that's like, well, sell me, you know, that is such a inferior place to be starting the conversation from. I assume you've experienced some of that halo effect as well on the sales side. Of course. It's fascinating. My, my very starting years of being in the, the sales industry was Back in the day, I created a little lawn mowing company to start mowing all the rental properties in the area. And it wasn't a sales pitch. It was, I have this service I can fit and do for you. And if you think about it, we're constantly selling. So sales pitch is kind of not a thing. It's really about what service can I provide? What can I connect you with? What can I train you on with the value differences between me and the differentiator with somebody else down the road? 
it's it's not about a transaction or a pitch. Mm-hmm. It's about the value opportunity and how well you can articulate it and connect because everybody has different personalities. So you have to understand their personality. You have to understand their state of mind. You have to understand their goals before you even pitch. Otherwise, your pitch is going to be way in the left field and you're just wasting time. And then you're asking, well, people only want to talk about price. Well, there's a reason for that, you know? Yeah. And I don't want to be in an industry in 20 years from now where I'm just a line item on their budget sheet. I want to actually be a partner who can get them where they're wanting to go as they define financial success. Because some of them define financial success as being able to afford you know, that vacation trip in Disneyland, where some says it's just to come up with college money for their kiddos. Everybody's definition is different. And how could you even begin to walk them down the path if you don't know their goals? And you're just mm-hmm. servicing their goal. It's not a pitch that you're looking for. I like that. So let's talk about who this attracts. Do you find that because you're engaging in being out there and educating people that the client profile is any, is it any more biased towards investors versus accidental landlords? You know, there was a study, I believe that you're aware of it, um, called the iceberg report. Mm-hmm. Um, in that report, it talked about there being 234 million private landlords that aren't stuck in an entity. And of that number, 19.6 were the DIY landlords from like the single family homes to fourplexes in size. So when I first started this Landlord's Almanac, I thought I was going to attract those guys that had 80 units, 100 units, and were big players. But those are so few and far between that all I attracted was guys that had one to four units willing to step up or buy more or just make profit on what they have. Mm. I went into this thinking I'd be able to surround myself by bigger investors so I could be a bigger investor when really I surrounded myself with more of those that wanted that were hungry to learn and grow. And actually, they ended up spending more money with us by buying forms and documents and books before they spent any money on professional services. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. So for that profile of folks that are smaller, do you find that you are still able to influence them in terms of helping participate in the wealth creation through real estate story and then get them to actually purchase more properties and have you manage them? Do you feel like you can influence them doubling down on it as opposed to a lot of people feel like that for the accidentals, they got what they got. They're not going to buy any more houses and it's just kind of static. A lot of people think that about the um, accidental landlords is they start at one property and then they stop. But when they realize that you make revenue several different ways on rental properties and how they can maximize it, they get hooked on the the dream of having rentals. So they end up buying more and making more twists. We actually found three things that grows our business from the group. Uh, the first one is the secondary level of referrals. So for it's kind of like BNI. You do a presentation every week and then you tell them about yourself and they become these little mini Salesforce people telling the next people who you are and, oh, you should call them. So we're getting mass amounts of our referrals through secondary relationships and third layer relationships, not so much the people that are in the room. The people in the room are kind of like our marching sales force for us. And then the second thing that we get, obviously, is we'll do our consulting stuff sells with consulting, coaching, how to buy the right property, what to look for in buying the right property, things like that. And then um, the third one is there's about 20% of the crowd that will start off with one thinking they're going to sell it. And then they end up buying more and having us manage all of it. Mm. So 
it's kind of three areas where we're generating revenue off of for the group. And it's really cool because we now have it so systemized where sponsors pay for the cost of the events and pay for the cost of the forums that we do. Mm. So we don't even have to worry about those costs anymore. So it's literally zero cost marketing platform for us. Big objection removed right off the table. Obviously, another objection is, well, Cassandra, if you educate them, then they'll just do it themselves and they won't want to hire you. How do you address that potential concern some of you may have? That actually hasn't really been much of an issue. I thought it would be by sitting there teaching them how to process rent or how to do an eviction. But what happened in the room and what happened every time we did webinars, it was more of a, I didn't know and I don't have time to know. So therefore I need to hire or tell my buddy to hire you Mm -hmm. Um, over and over and over. That was the conversation. Every state is very complicated on its evictions. And there's a step for this, a step for this, a step for this. If you miss a step, you have to go back to step one and start over and it gets very expensive. So the landlords, when they realize how many steps there are to accomplish one task, they realize it's too hard to do it themselves. So they start handing over their properties or they start following us even more and bragging to the world how much they know. Hmm. Love it. So in terms of the actual setup of an individual meeting, when you talked about starting off just doing meetups, that sounds like a fairly low bar as opposed to, in terms of the infrastructure, I mean, it's it's people in a room, you got to find a meeting space, but still maybe some folks would have some hesitations around uh, public speaking or what was the, the friction or the inertia that you had to get past when you first started doing it before it was actually something that you were like really comfortable with? For me, it was kind of two things that I had to kind of get over. The first one was I thought I was going to be standing in a room full of landlords that knew more than me and come to find out we knew more than them because we're in it every day. Uh And we see the lawsuits, we see the complaints, we see the government regulations, whereas they don't. Uh, The second thing that I had to get over was just simple speaking skills. Because when we first did the speaking, it was more like I'm talking like a teacher. Then when I did that, you didn't get as many referrals or you didn't get as much engagement. So we had to learn how to speak, not with a sales pitch, but with a value proposition at the same time of teaching them at the same time of overwhelming them to where they'll want to hire you. Yeah. And you know, it's like this science mix of all of it. So I did a lot of Toastmaster classes. I did a lot of training on how to do my presentations differently. It's kind of like you with the podcast, you had to learn from when you started versus today how to even start each session and how to take the conversations. Yeah, so it's a work in progress, no doubt. So now when you do these, you're still still doing the local meetups, even though you have the online forums, the local meetups are happening on a monthly basis. Is that right? Yes, uh, we have a thousand members. We're now in three states, Oklahoma, Washington, Alaska are the three states that we're in right now. It's partly because that's where where I am as an investor. So it kind of grew in those areas. And they all sit online chatting in our private forums that we have. Now, when you say states, what does that mean? Is that just the places where you actually hold meetup events in? Yeah, there's local meetups in Everett, Washington. I was able to find another property manager that was willing to host the events. And then I will participate in some of those events. I like to travel, so I'll go there. Uh, Frequently in Oklahoma because I have rentals there. So I'll do events there. And then I have other investors that will do events there as well. So then we started creating a forum, creating connections and access. Now people 
will host in their local meetup area. So it's different than a RIA. RIA is everything and anything real estate, whereas this one's hyper-focusing on landlording. So how do you structure the conversation for your next meetup? Is it topically focused? Is it more Q&A, free-flowing conversation? Like, how do you actually structure that time? Well, what's fascinating we learned is that we change it up. It's not always the same setup. So sometimes the events are a little bit more created towards creating speed dating and networking. So that way professionals can connect with the other landlords. Sometimes the event is a classroom style, which is like teaching them step-by-step of how to do an eviction. And then other times it's a combination of inviting a guest speaker so we can hyper-focus in on, for example, how to use your IRA to buy rentals. And we'll go into depth of how to do that. And it all deals with property management, landlording, buying more rentals, risk mitigations, asset protection, anything and everything that will support a landlord. Yeah, that makes sense. So if somebody was thinking about hosting local events or just doing education in general, if you were going to sum it all up, these sorts of things are hard to quantify in terms of the time investment and the outcome. You can to some degree, but eventually it snowballs and it becomes such a big thing. It just all kind of gloms together. And for people like me, I don't sweat that because philosophically I am committed to education as a part of what I do. It is part of my job and it's something that I find deeply rewarding. And it's one of the number one reasons that people want to have a relationship with me as a service provider. In your situation, What happens to your franchise had you not done any of this education? How do you think that the company's destiny would have been different had you just said, you know what, I can't get out of my shell or it's going to be too much time or, you know, come up with some kind of an excuse? I'm kind of like you. Education is my motivator and touching thousands of people is my motivator to get up and get over any fears I have to make something happen. The secondary one is I always use math when it comes to trying to evaluate doing something. Sure. So I'm at 500 rentals. I know a lot of people will spend a certain percent of their revenue towards marketing. And that could be anywhere from sixty dollars to $100,000 in Google ads and Facebooks and all those things, right? Website hosting. Or you can just spend your money and get it free marketing and just get up and start talking and socializing and listening to the community. It'll give you ideas of how to pivot your company to provide guarantees and warranties and services that you haven't thought of before. It will give you ideas of challenges that others are facing in the community that you aren't facing, but you might soon face so you can get ready for the change. Uh, like rents going up or rents going down or somebody getting sued over X, Y, Z, and you can start thinking back on your processes as a company. So it's going to help your business by listening and hearing what's going on in the market really close, but it's also going to make it to where uh, you're saving a lot of money on marketing costs by just going straight to them. I'm not asking Google's permission to get in front of them and just be another Mm. cookie. Mm. I'm now a partner and everyone refers us. And because of that, we now get speaking opportunities all the time at the banks and at the local chambers, at BNI. Every time there's a huge event, they want us to be a guest speaker because we're good at speaking now. We're also good at relating to them. And that does help us with our sales presentations when we're just trying to bring on a new client because we know how to relate to them and talk to them at their level, not our level. 
So it's just a big circle of saving money and growing. <laughs> I love it. So the way, here's the way I think about it. To own the relationship, you have to tell the story. And at the point that you own the relationship, it's pull rather than push. When we think about all the different ways that you can deploy a dollar or any resource to get some kind of ROI, pay-per-lead, uh, pay-per-click, SEO, all of these things require expertise in and of itself, right? Like if you really want to leverage pay-per-click, you're probably going to need to learn about it on some level. You could try completely outsourcing it and knowing nothing. But what we tend to find is that if you can't audit the good or service that you're paying for, it's difficult for you to find a service provider that's going to do right by you. Just as a general concept, if I go to the mechanic and he tells me that there's something wrong with my car and I have no ability to audit that, I could go to another mechanic. But I'm kind of in a bind, you know, they've, they've got me by the short hairs more or less, and I'm, I'm subject to their whims. What's unique about the form of marketing that you're leveraging is that it doesn't require you by and large to learn this crazy new skill set of marketing automation or technology or whatever. It plays to your strength because if you're a competent service provider and you know how to do your job well and you're comfortable sharing it, where could there be more possible overlap for you to penetrate the market? That's why I like where you're focusing your lead gen and your marketing efforts. But you brought up some other great points, like, for example, getting ideas for operational efficiency or, or fees. Like, what's some of the inspiration on the operational side of thing that you think came from a specific conversation in the meetup? One of the biggest things that was a big eye-opener for me is I kind of have a paralegal background. So when we wrote up our emails and messages and our internal documents that get uh, sent to the clients, um, we realized that that's like legal jargon over everyone's head. So by listening to everyone, we realized there's kind of two sides to their mentality. It's how I feel in the moment of whatever is happening, which is usually an, un, an emotional decision that they make and not a business decision. And then B, their ability to trust us to help them make that business decision so they can make the right decision for their property to be profitable, not a painful process. Mm -hmm. so, by that concept, I was able to go to all of our messaging and everything that went out to the customer and changed it from legal jargon to content that was at their level of understanding and mm. at the ability to educate them on how they could step through this process with us rather than fighting us because they don't understand or they get scared and emotions overtake mm. their ability mm. to do the right decision. So that's just one thing that we changed just from, from this process. I love that. That makes so much sense. I'm also curious about the insights you may have around how your clients want to be talked to about the financial outcomes. Like, how do you think that you may communicate with your clients about the financial outcomes differently than your, your aside from just putting it in layman's terms? Like, what do you basically do to communicate financial performance, like the equivalent of layman's pro forma or something like that for your clients? So uh, what's fascinating is most of the landlords don't understand basic profit and losses or basic balance sheets. They don't get it. Yep. They don't understand how to read them. They don't understand where it goes or any of that stuff. So what we started doing is every time we're faced with a decision, like tenant gave a notice, simple as tenant gave a notice. We go to the owner and we send them a series of messages saying, hey, here's opportunities that you can drive from this action that happened. 
And then that'll, one of those series of messages that go to them will usually engage them in a conversation of, hey, I think I want to go from a single family to a duplex or, hey, is it time to start rehabbing so that way I can maximize my rent or, hey, I didn't know that I can do these repairs to do the depreciation. I'm a high income earner. How can I work with that? We take these opportunities of the life cycle of a, of a rental property and use it to guide them over other options. And when they read it and when they engage and when they pick the option that they want, they feel empowered, like it was their idea. And then they will grow with us and add more accounts accordingly. Oh, wow. So that's value, right? I mean, by giving them options that they didn't know they had, you've just created a massive amount of value. Yeah. And if you think about it, because I've been listening to your podcast for a while and there's been a couple people from Australia on the podcast and they talk about how we all are now at the phase of having similar systems, similar process, similar have to deal with the government the same way, so on and so on and so on. That the key thing is, is they have to find a way to be a differentiator in strategies of working with the clients to get the clients to grow. Mm -hmm. And that's the differentiator between them and another company. So if you were to be a leader in this industry in America, you need to already be thinking about that because here in about 10, 15 years, we're all going to have the same programs. We're all going to have the same data. We're all going to have the same, here's how you process and press enter on this thing. For crying out loud, we all do tenant rent payment processing. We all can do credit cards. We all can do um, online portals. We're all doing that. So right. now we have to start saying, what makes me different than you? And that's the conversation you need to start thinking about having with the public because they can now download a form and do it themselves without you. They can buy I, the software. Mm, yeah, I, I could not agree more. Ben White in one of his books talks about uh, hygiene factors. The concept of a hygiene factor is basically, it's not something to be self-congratulatory about. It's something that you have to do just to even be in the game. And a lot of the processes that you just described, the online portals, whatever it may be, fall into those factors. And that's why it's so challenging to wade into the differentiation conversation, because it requires a certain level of honesty and self-indictment about saying, you know what, I may be just like every other property management company in my town. There may be nothing unique about what we do today, but what could I do to actually position around that? You network with other property management companies. Uh, you're a part of a franchise. I know you have a lot of conversations. What do you see as being the primary hangup that prevents people from going down this path that, that you've gone down? You know, I think what happens, it's the old adage that we all face is we're always busy in our business, not busy thinking on our business, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think that's what happens is we get so busy in our day-to-day -day of, oh, this tenant did this, this owner did this, this thing hit our plate, and we become reactionary. And, and for the most part, as a country, we're kind of reactionary in a lot of things that we do, which makes it easy to slip into those habits but if you were to sit back and just find a way to calendar yourself time to think, like, for example, I don't go to work on Mondays. I use that as my day of just sitting and thinking of where can I go? What can I change? What can I edit? Or what book can I read that'll provoke the idea of what the future could look like? Mm. So I can put steps in place to start making that happen. Mm. Otherwise, we're just going to stay 20 years behind. And there's literally one management company in my town that still does 
collecting rent checks on a paper ledger where they hand write it in and all that stuff, no computers. If we don't keep up with the times, we'll be that guy in 10 years from now. Yeah, buffer days. I love that concept. So Dan Sullivan with Strategic Coach talks about a buffer days, one day out of the week where you take to just get really clear on what is actually happening as opposed to just being victimized by the busyness. And I think every, every entrepreneur can relate to that. When we think about what you would do with a buffer day or the margin that you get by working yourself out of a job, what I notice is that entrepreneurs move up on the food chain, they have more free time, but they tend to default towards their own skill set and their area of comfortability. I've got one client that is a engineer. And so, you know, he works on systems and processes and they're really dialed in. I've got other clients that are natural born salespeople. And so they tend to work on marketing. But what I know is that when we think about the economic value being created by the different functions within the business, sales and marketing creates an overwhelming, disproportionate quantity of value in the business. We like to think that the best widget wins, the best service provider wins. If you build it, they will come. It's a dirty lie. It's just not true. Focusing on sales and marketing is one of the best investments that you can make. And if you can do it from the vantage point of leveraging the expertise that you already have, more power to you. I love the example that you've set up. If folks want to find out more about what you're doing, maybe get in touch or learn more about the Landlord's Almanac, what's the best place for them to do that? We are revamping the site to make it where it can handle more nationwide outside of the three areas we're in right now. So today it'll look different than what it will look like when we launch the new platform. The website is the best place to get a hold of us and it's thelandlordsalmanac.com. And you'll get a taste of what it looks like and it'll launch in August with the new platform. So that way they can join in and start chatting with us as well. All right. And you mentioned that you have a couple of partners in some different states. Are you still, are you open or are looking for potential partners in other states outside of those three? Uh, yes, we're always looking for additional landlords to connect into, additional property managers to connect into. Yes, I am part of a franchise, but I do uh, consider this as like a separate entity and a separate performance because the franchise helps me within my local market. So this is open, open for everyone to come and chat and hang out with us. All right. So open for chat. Oh, so maybe some travel opportunities for you. So if anybody with a property management company in Cozumel or Rome or, or France, reach out and let's connect here. So, hey, I appreciate you sharing and kind of opening up the kimono. I commend you for the tremendous effort that you're putting forward. I have a ton of respect for it. And I think it's the way of the future, guys. So if you want to get ahead of the curve, be like Cassandra, start committing to educating your clients, start committing to being that thought leader that has a end destination and a journey, not just handing over dollars for services rendered, provide that long-term customer journey. Really appreciate you coming on the show, Cassandra. Next time I'm in Alaska, I'm going to look you up. Sounds like a plan. Thanks for tuning in to the Profitable Property Management Podcast. Please subscribe and leave us a review. Your feedback makes this a better show, and the more reviews we get, the better our guests become. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget that you can find us online in the Profitable Property Management Facebook group, where we mastermind with the best in the industry.